You can open your Bibles to 1 John. We've been walking through this, this great little letter. And uh, today we come upon um, one of the um, most famous verses in 1 John, perhaps some of the most neglected verses in 1 John, um, has to do with loving the world. You know, one of the saddest stories in the Bible has to do with Demas. He was a, a friend of Paul. He ministered to Paul when, when Paul was in, in prison. He uh, witnessed Paul write several books of the Bible, probably read them, knew the gospel thoroughly. In some sense, my, my only assumption is, a good assumption I think, is that he was a professor of Christ, professing to follow Christ. He, he served Paul. He, he watched uh, Paul love people. He knew Paul's friends, Luke, Mark, Epaphras, Aristarchus. And yet, sadly, Paul said of him that Demas deserted me and has gone on to Thessalonica. Here's a man, he deserted the Apostle Paul. Now, how would you like to have that forever to be known about you? Yeah, Steve Brandon, what did he do? He deserted the Apostle Paul. It's a terrible, it's a terrible, let's see, I... It's a terrible um, testimony. It says that he deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And Paul also says why he deserted. He deserted Paul because he was in love with the present world. In, in other words, the, the love for the world overtook his desire and his love for Paul. That he deserted him, pursued his own passions and desire in Thessalonica. Now, we don't know exactly what it means that he was in love with the present world. Um, it, it may have been that he loved the comforts of the world and ministering to a, a man in prison was not the most comfortable thing in the world. Um, as you got to go there and you got to feed him and you got to kind of go around and try to do what you can, maybe spend some time there in the cold prison floor with him. Uh, it, it may mean that he loved his possessions and there in a, a foreign city trying to help Paul, he, he didn't have possessions, many possessions that he he could be helped with it it meant that he loved maybe it meant that he loved the pleasures of the world maybe he went to Thessalonica to, to pursue pleasures maybe it meant that he loved the reputation of the world and and in the early Christian church to be named Christian was a, a derogatory word and maybe you wanted a reputation that you're not going to have when you help a Christian in, in prison maybe it's a combination of, of several of these things we don't know because Demas is only mentioned three times in the Bible but we do know they deserted Paul because he was in love with the present world. And we know that the results wasn't good. The lure of the world was too much for him. And Paul was left abandoned in his hour of need. And in loving the world, he turned away from God at the same time. And I just say this, the danger of Demas is the danger that we all face. The lure of the world Trust you know what I mean as we, we think about the world and its attractions. Because the world is an attractive place. There's lots of things in the, in the world that can hold our attention. It holds the world's attention pretty well. Well, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 has a, has a simple message for it. It says, do not love the world. And, and I think that that never has there been a, a message so timely to us 
and to the world. Because today we have the world at our fingertips. You know, there's been the industrial age and whatever. This is, this is the information age. The time in which all the information that we want is, is here for good and for bad. It, it, it's alluring. It has changed our life. How many, how many times have I, I seen people just, you know, they're, they're, they're just like this. They're kind of multitasking, doing everything they can because they love their devices they can put in their pockets. Temptation is in the palm of our hand as well. Do not love the world. It's the title of my message this morning because it is the title of my text. Let me just read it for you. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. A clear command comes right in there, those first couple words. Do not love the world. That, that heading there summarizes well the, the next three verses, the whole paragraph we're looking at, verses 15 to, to 17. Our affections are not to be upon this world. As Christians, we are, are to live beyond the world. We are not to walk by sight. We're to walk by Faith. We are, as Paul says in Colossians 3, right, seek the things above, not the things that are here upon the earth. We are to consider our own lives not as dear to ourselves. We might run the race and the course that is set before us. We ought to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Rather than towards the world, our affections should be towards God. Now, one of the first questions asked, what's John talking about here when he says that we... Should not love the world. Right? In other words, what is, what is the world? Well, at, at first glance, it's not so difficult. And really, it's not so difficult. But it, it can be difficult if you think about it too long. Okay? This, is, this is the problem of, of higher education. Is The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And the more you, you question. And if you start digging into what this means, and you're like, oh, oh that's not as simple as I thought it was. You're, you're exactly right. Do not love the world. I mean, think about it. God loves the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. And if God loves something, we are not to not love that something. We are to love what God loves. We are to have his same affections. And so if God loves the world, we ought to love the world. But wait a minute, this says don't love the world. So you gotta, you got to just think about that a little bit. Now, John 3.16 is obviously talking about people. God loved people in the world. And furthermore, in John's letter, he tells us to love one another. Chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message that you have had from the beginning, that we should love one another. Chapter 4, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, right? Our, our heart and our passion should be other, for other people. I, so that's not what the world is, is talking about here. Well, you might say, say this, is that what is, what is the world? Is it the creation? Are we not to enjoy the, the creation, the physical, tangible world? And, and again, I say no, because the creation exists for the glory of God. The heavens tell the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. 
and just speaks about how God's glory is made known in creation. Romans 1 speaks about that, and it ought to draw us to God. There's a, an affection that we ought to have for creation that says the we see the Grand Canyon, we say, wow, and worship God, that's only right. We should love grand places like that upon the earth that he has given to us. In fact, we think about the globe. Think about 1 Timothy 4. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. There's everything created by God is good. Genesis 1, and it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And even here, everything created by God is good. And there's nothing to be rejected. See, there's nothing about this world that's to be rejected. But, but we are to receive it in thanks and prayer to God. So what's the world? Is it the things in creation? And again, I say no, because John distinguishes. There's the world and there are the things in the world. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. These are two different things. There's the world and there are the things in the world. So those are, are two different, distinct things. So what is, what is the world? Right. Well, of course, we're not to love the things in the world either. But there is the world. I just kind of throw you into that kind of think about what, what it is that's not so easy at, at first glance. You think about it, though. It, it's not so difficult. We'll find out about that. But a generation ago, when they would come across this verse, there were some things that would come to mind about the world Things in the world are, are things like rock and roll music or going to movies or alcohol or cigarettes. For boys, the things of the world was long hair. And for girls, things of the world was short dresses. You can maybe throw in playing cards and dancing in there as well. And that was the essence of worldliness a generation ago. All these, these external things. But today, by the way, the, the climate has changed that many professing Christians look upon those standards of the generation before and just say, well, that's kind of silly. And, and indeed, our, our culture has changed a little bit, but so has worldliness standards. Drums and guitars have overtaken the churches rather than organs. As if organs was more godly than, than anything else, but they put that standard on there. You go to Africa and they worship with drums because they can't afford an organ, all right? Netflix is in nearly 40% of the homes. And I would suspect it'd be in 40% of your homes. We don't have to go to the movies. The movies come to us. Any movie we want. Alcohol consumption is the norm in many churches. With pastors flaunting their love for beer and scotch. I'm not one of them, by the way. I've had maybe three swallows of alcohol ever in my life. Okay? But it has come into the church, and many pastors are, are like that. Hairstyles are all over the map. Long, short hair. And, and everybody, jeans, wear jeans, girls and, and boys alike. And so things have changed, right, from those old lists. And the, and the problem with those old lists is that they were external. But what John is talking about here are intensely internal. And we'll see that. <coughs> but we need to see, though, that... With those external standards that have gone away the previous generation, um, it's because the world has changed, the church has changed along with it in, in some regards. As one man said, the danger of the evangelical church today is not persecution from the world, it's seduction by the world. 
And there are churches today who will seek to be as close to the world as possible while still being a Christian and thinking that the world is attractive, which it is, and attract people by worldly methods and worldly means. But you just read 1 Corinthians 1, and Paul says it's not worldly methods and worldly means. It's the power of the gospel. The cross is the power of the gospel. And that's where true power comes in. You want to deflate the power of a church, well, just, just deflate your emphasis upon the gospel and live close to the world. You deflate the power of the church. Oh, you might get numbers, but you're not going to get power of the world. There, there's, there's power the church, when people are, are walking righteously with God. One man said, um, if I can find it here, one, one man said, whatever commands our time, energy, and resources commands us. And if we are honest, we will admit that our lives really aren't that different from those of our secular counterparts. I, I suspect that one of the reasons we are so ineffective in evangelism is because we're so much like the people around us that we have very little which to call them to. We, don't hang, we, we hang around the church building a little bit more than they do. We abstain from a few things, but we simply aren't that different. And we don't even do hedonism as well as the folks around us, but we keep trying. As a result of this unfortunate accommodations, Christianity is reduced to a little more than a spiritual crutch to help us through the minefields of the upwardly mobile life. God is there to help us get our promotions, our house in the suburbs, and our bills paid. But somehow God has become a co-conspirator in our agenda instead of our becoming a co-conspirator in His. Something is seriously amiss. And I think that speaks about the call to us today is just to be, be those who are different. Are you different than your neighbor? Are you different than your coworker? Do you talk differently? Do you walk differently? Do you act differently? Not because that's what it means to not be of the world, but because there's something internal that is different about you that works itself out differently. In fact, that's what we're going to see here today. Fortunately, John tells us what it means, what he's talking about when he talks about the world. Look at verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, dash. And what he's going to do, he's going to describe here what the world is. The world goes from the dash to the dash that is in the world. He says, all that is in the world, and that, by the way, is ESV and the NIV and the New King James all have that dash. The New American Standard doesn't, King James doesn't, but it's still comma separated. It's still a, a parenthetical comment. There is an emphasis upon this. For all that is in the world, here's the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. There it is. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life. You say, John, what do you mean when you talk about the world? Well, there it is. Your fleshly desires, that's your sensuality, your physical desires of what you have, your, your sensual desire, your, your earthly passions, if you will, the, the things that are natural to you and being in the flesh. Uh, has to do with the desire of the eyes. There's the, the second thing it points there. The, the, the things that you see that then you, you covet and you long for and that, that comes into your eye gate, as Bunyan talked about in, 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 um, in, in his book, The Holy War. Right? It comes into your, your eyes and then it begins to think in your mind what you see and what you covet, what you want and what you go after. Or it's pride of life. That is, right, the arrogance of, of everything that we have, the, the accumulation of the stuff that we have, the, the wisdom of the world, the pride that says, look at me, look at how good I am. That's for the world, but we should walk in humility as 
opposite of pride. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and, and it's, it's, it's too internal to put some external list on it. I think that's the error of the last generation. They tried to put some kind of list on it, but you focus on these sorts of words and they're, um, you, you see how it flushes itself out. So a few examples of how it might flush itself out. Think about money. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with money. We need it to live. Jesus acknowledged that. You know, do you pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? And he went out fishing and got a, a silver coin for Peter so he could pay the poll tax. He provided money for Peter. He um, also talked about how use the worldly things in the worldly way. Render to Caesar what is Caesar, but what God's rendered to God's. And so he's talking there about how to give to Caesar the money that's got Caesar's imprint upon it. And so also how to use that same money for God. You can use money greatly for God's kingdom. But see, there's a danger in money. First Timothy 6.10 tells us of the danger. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money. Money's not bad. Money's neutral. But it can be used for bad. It can be used in an evil way. And it's the love of that money which drives a covetousness, which is idolatry, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. That's when it becomes bad, when you, when you love. And it's, it's sort of uh, seductive. Right? When, when, when the love of money actually, 1 Timothy 6.10, through craving of it, some have wandered away from the faith. That is, they were among the people of God. And they longed for their money and they just, they just wandered away into their, into their money and into their financial pursuits. Thinking that that's more important than eternal things with God. And that's the sort of love that, that John is telling us to avoid. It's the, it's the, the love of the flesh, the, the overlove of the flesh. It's the overlove of the eyes. It's the overpride of life, as David Paulison said, the evil in our desires often lies not in what we want, but in the fact that we want it too much. Because if you're going to be here today, you need to have money to buy some clothes or, or rent or food. You, we need money. We, we have to want it. But when we want it too much, that's where we get into trouble. Or, or you think about food. Food is a, We need food. Without food, we wither up and die. In fact, God has given us food. Food is a gift for us. Giving us rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying our hearts with food and gladness. Acts 14, 27. There's just the, the goodness of God to provide us such an abundance to have so much food. And, and, you know, we can have fruit all year round because he blesses in California and it comes out to us. And food is good. I had a cookie yesterday. I enjoyed my cookie. And you made some muffins recently, Hannah. I've enjoyed too many muffins. I've loved those. Those have been very good. And we enjoy our food. But the love of food is where we get into trouble. Hear my son and be wise, Proverbs twenty three nineteen through 21, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. In other words, don't eat too much. Don't drink too much. Don't love those things too much. We can look at sex. Sex is something that God has given us to enjoy. It's a gift of Him. 
It's a grace of life, of pleasures, and yet the love of sex has drawn many people into ruin, has destroyed many marriages because the love of sex in the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong device, has destroyed many marriages. That's where you take a gift and you distort it. Rest. Rest is a gift of God. God says, work six days and rest the seventh. Work hard and rest. And and so he wants us to rest. But too much rest is sinful. Too much rest is called laziness. It's called being a a sluggard. And nowhere does the Bible speak well of being a, a sluggard. In fact, if you talk about being a sluggard, it only leads to poverty. Whoever's lazy will lead to poverty. And the problem with a lazy person is that rather than working for six days and resting one, there's a resting for six days and maybe working a one. But I just say this. Um, don't love rest so much that it hinders your work. Work hard, Rock Valley Bible Church. Be people who are industrious and work hard. But rest in its own proportion. I put entertainment under this rest kind of category. That God has graciously given us entertainment to help us. It's a form of rest. I'm talking movies, interest, uh, movies, television, internet, video games, hobbies, sports, fishing. You name it. That, that's that's a, a subcategory of rest when we're not doing, but we we, we are uh, are enjoying the things of the world that God has given us. And I'm talking about right entertainment. Okay, I'm talking about health, health, healthy and wholesome entertainment. Of course. Wicked and sinful entertainment should not, should not even come there. But there is a, a healthy entertainment. But we can love that entertainment too much that it becomes an obsession and becomes wrong when we begin to divert our minds too much or when that, that habit, that, that hobby becomes so overwhelming that it's all we think about or when that, that television show becomes all that we can think about or, or some other passion that we enjoy, which is okay to enjoy, but when it takes an inordinate desire, that's when... It becomes wrong, and it's, it's the world. Listen, we live in the flesh, and we have desires of the flesh, and many of the desires are, are not wrong. Hunger urges a man on to work. But when we come to love these desires, and these desires become too big, that's when it's wrong. And that's what John is, I think, talking about. When he talks about loving the world, he's talking about just this passion that you have, this desire which is inordinate because it's a love for the world. And then the love for the things of the world, of course, that would be the, uh, the possessions that we have that this desire then becomes manifest and, and takes off about that. And I think it's any desire that we take in excess is sinful. And John's exhortation is that we simply won't be carried away on that slippery slope. And, and here's interesting. It is a slippery slope because where do you call line? We say, like, well, uh, I, I like that. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't love this particular hobby. I don't love this particular thing. But my, money, when does money become a love of the world? Uh, you know, the businessman, right, who says, well, when are you going to be financially well enough off? And he says, when I have one more dollar. And he gets that dollar. And says, I thought you'd be financially off. No, I, just, I need one more dollar. I, th- I, thought, I thought you were okay. And always needing more and more and more and more. Right, your 401k needs to be um, bigger, 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 bigger. You, you're never satisfied. That's how it is. You're never satisfied. So when, when do you, when do you like cross that line? It's difficult. I don't know where that line is. Um, how about food? 
Do we measure it on body fat? How much body fat do I have? Maybe that's where your, your, your love for food is too much. I don't know. Um, where does entertainment? Is it just 15 minutes a day? Is it 30 minutes a day? Is it two hours a day? Is it, we, what, what is it that's, that's too much? Or how much is too much internet? Or how much is too much sports? Or when does alcohol consumption go over the line? I know Christians who are in the church culture where alcohol is celebrated from pastor to pew. And it's interesting that there are those who are special champions of the alcohol. And they, they start engaging in that and they start bringing other people into this alcohol. And pretty soon there are some times where the guy is, is tipsy a little bit. But who's confronting that one? Who's saying, I think it's a love? Well, it's a slippery slope and it goes down. And I would not be surprised if churches in that culture lead people into alcoholism. Because they can't. Where, where do you stop? It's a difficult line. And when I know it's rarely confronted. It's obesity is rarely confronted. It's materialism is rarely confronted. As overzealousness with something is rarely confronted. But the call of this text is not to love the world. And I just say, church family, like wherever this line is, you're blind to it. None of you see that in yourselves. I don't think. Well, you might. But oftentimes we, we try to justify ourselves, right? Because we love our loves. And on top of that, we will then justify our loves and we will justify it in ourselves. So, so how, do you, how do you discern where your passions, your desires are sinful? And I think there are really two ways. All right? First of all is, can you drop it? Can you drop it? You think you have a love for coffee? Do you have to have your coffee? How about, how about just drop it for a month? Just say, I, I don't need my coffee. Let's see if I need my coffee and see if you can go a month without your coffee. And then, if you go a month without your coffee, you can say, I don't, I don't need this, but I like it. It's a pleasure. But you're using your pleasure right when you can say, I, I don't need it. Or, or say, um, your football. Do you like your football? Or your other sports? Well, why don't you just drop it for a season? Say, I don't need to watch it this season. And then when you do that, you say, it's not so important to me. And then you pick it up later and you say, oh, this is, this is fun. Because football's fun. The Cubs are a blast, right? I saw them yesterday. It was a blast. The Bears sometimes win. They're, they're good, all right? But when they win, it make you happy, right? Like last week when they won. 18 seconds left? I can't remember what it was. Really end, towards the end. It's an exciting game. They're fun, but, but can you drop it? Can you just say, eh, I don't need it. Or do you got to have it? How about food? Try losing a few pounds. Say, you know what? Yeah, food's a problem. Well, just lose 10 pounds. Just eat less. Can you do that? I mean, I'm talking, I'm just talking just, you know, rather than eating this much, just eat this much. And just see whether your belly is your appetite. And then when you've lost a few pounds, you say, look, this is not so bad. And you can gain it right back if you want, or you can stay trim. But you just, I'm, I'm just saying, just, just prove yourself whether, you're, whether it's in control of you or that you're in control of it. I remember hearing the illustration one time of John MacArthur that he, he talked about ice cream in front of him. He said, ice cream, you think that you have mastery over me, but you don't. You're not ever going to enter my lips. Nope. Sorry. I'm just, just kind of joking one time about having a... It, and if food is your idol... Can, can you lose 10 pounds? 
Or how about money? Try just living on less for a while. Just say for these next three months, we're going we're gonna to just cut some of these things that we do and we're just going to live on less and we're going to take that and we're going to give that away. I mean, anybody can, anybody can do that. I've heard before that you can support, um, you know, whatever, your Starbucks for a month. Okay, so you're, you're talking about your, your coffee and your Starbucks. Just, just take that money and then give it to somebody. I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying all these things and, and there may be issues in your life. See if you can just back off of it. See if you can just, just back off of it. And uh, if you can back off of it, I just say this. It's a, it's a right passion. If you can't back off of it, then maybe there's a problem in your life. You've got one of these desires of the world that's the first way to discern how you have a, a desire of the world problem. Second way, pray. We're in a small group last week and talking about the application of this. And someone said, we, I think we just need to pray. Because listen, some of your sinful passions are not my sinful passions. Some, some of yours are not mine. Like I don't, I don't struggle with that. But there are other things I struggle with that you don't struggle with. And so we need to pray that that God would, would come into our, our lives and really open our eyes in which way we're, we're loving the world wrongly and praying that God would convict us of those things and give us a heart that wants to I mean, Who of us wants to change? Who of us wants to walk more like Christ? Then, then let's pray that God would expose in us what is, what is difficult for us. You know, Jesus prayed about this very thing. High priestly prayer, John 17 he prayed for his disciples. Listen to what he prayed. John seventeen fifteen through 17. I do not ask, O Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In other words, don't, don't, don't take them and cloister them there. Monasteries are rife with sin. Okay, you can't, can't do that. But I want my disciples to be in the world. They need to be salt and light in the world. You need to walk in the world, but I pray that you would keep them from the evil one while they're in the world. So he's praying for us. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So I, I think, first of all, can you drop it? In the children's notes there, I got a picture of let it go, right? Let it go, let it go. I don't, that's about all the song I know, but that's enough, right? So you just let it go. Can you let it go? Okay, second, will you pray? Pray that God would, would expose where you love the world. So what a great time for us. Let's just bow our heads just right here in the middle of my, my message this morning to reflect upon our own lives and that God deal with us individually on whatever passions we have which we think maybe is inordinate. And I'm not... I'm not your judge on these things. I mean, I, I've mentioned various things and I'm just trying to bring up brainstorming perhaps where God might convict you in your own heart. And there could be different thresholds of love. One cursed person might be able to be involved a lot and, and it not be consuming. And one person a little is even consuming. Let's just pray for God's convicting work in your life to, to just show you an, an area perhaps that you need to change. Perhaps that is a, a love of the world, perhaps where you are not uh, following after the ways of God on these things.
fact, maybe in my message here this morning, you're going to just focus on just one area of your life that said this is a, the biggest thing that I have. This is like a question area that I have. Maybe even this afternoon you'll ask someone, what, what, what do you think is a passion in my life? What do you think is an inordinate desire? And see if you're willing to give it up for a little bit to walk in the ways of God. And maybe it is some of the things I've talked about. Maybe it is your iPhone. Maybe it is the internet sites you shouldn't be at. I've made a covenant with my eyes, Job says. Then how could I gaze at a virgin? Maybe it is you're not fleeing from sexual immorality, but you're pursuing it. Maybe it's just self-interest. I'm interested in my own thing and my own stuff that you're not loving others. It's too consuming. Maybe it's food or entertainment or some material possession or some dream or some covetous desire you have. Father, I, I would pray that you would, your spirit right now, just convict our hearts. God, I pray this wouldn't be a vain exercise either, God, that we just, we go through the motions, we shut our eyes for a little bit, and we go on, but I, I pray that you would do some soul work among us. I've been praying that your spirit would be here to convict our hearts in these things. Help us not to love the world, O oh God. Search us, try us. David prayed in Psalm 139, Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Father, so search us and lead us in the everlasting way, the way that will not perish. We'll see at the end of verse 17. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I want to dig back into our text. John gives us two reasons why we should not love the world. He just doesn't say, don't love the world. He gives us reasons. First reason comes in verses 15 and 16. In fact, he even says it twice, the same thing. In verse 15, he says it, and he says again in verse 16. I'm going to read it. You can look for it, and then I'll tell you the answer. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Twice, he says, worldly love is not from God. Worldly love is not from God. Verse 15, you see there, the love of the Father is not in him. You have worldly love, then God's love is not in you. Verse 16, you have worldly love? Well, that's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Worldly love is not from God. It's not from the Father, however however you want to say that. In other words, you might say it like this. In the spirit of 1 John, love of the world is a sign that you're not from God might even put it that way. Love of the world is a sign that you are not from God. First John is all about signs. It's all about tests. It's all about identifying who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. These two types of people are mentioned in First John often. Look at verse chapter 3, verse 10. We see these people identified. They are the children of God. They are the children of the devil. And there's a discerning difference between them. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. 
Here it is. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You can just see it there. The children of God will practice righteousness. The children of God will love their brother. The children of the devil will not practice righteousness, will not love their brother. And you might add, thirdly, the children of the devil love the world. Because it's not from God. Because when God does a work in your heart, he's going to change you. And that love for the world won't be there. In fact, that's what chapter 3, verse 9 says. And note, note what's happening here. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. In other words, there's something fundamentally different about a child of God and a child of the devil. It's a, it's a work that God does in the heart to, to born you again, if you will, to be born from above. He changes you from within so that it flushes itself out in a way that is righteous. And he says, you can't even keep on sinning. You can't keep on loving the world. Chapter 3, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 because chapter 3 verse 9 it's God's seed that abides in you God you're born of him and so as God's seed is in you it's going to work itself out in ways that's not sinning like you you can't you can't keep on sinning and be a believer chapter 3 verse 6 no one who abides in him keeps on sinning and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him so no one who keeps loving the world abides in him and no one who abides in him will keep on loving the world. I mean, those are, those are paraphrases. What you can do, that's because God transforms us. It's because, just James 4, 4 says, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. These two things just don't exist. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and mammon. There's this dichotomy, and this dichotomy is, is brought up here. Worldly love is not from God. Worldly love is an evidence that you are not from God. This is the point that John has been making. Uh, I count even uh, three times he's made this so far. Over and over again. Chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all, all sin. Right? If we, if we say we're righteous, we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk sinfully, we're lying. It's when we walk in fellowship with God, when we walk in the light, that demonstrates we're genuine. Chapter 2, verse 3. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, a liar. So there, it's just keeping commandments. Where in verses um, 6 and 7 of chapter 1, it was walking in the light. And here in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it's, it's keeping his commandments. The one who keeps his commandments, we can know that we are in him. But the one who doesn't, despite what he says, if he doesn't keep his commandments, even if he professes, he's not in Christ. The same message comes in chapter 9 and 10. This is about being in the light and the darkness. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. This is our love for our brothers shows whether we're in the light or whether we're in the darkness. So you just look at those. Are you obeying God? Are you walking in the light? Are you loving your brother? Then you have reason to believe that you're in the light. But if those things are not true, if you're, if you're walking in the darkness and you're not keeping his commandments and you're not loving your brother, then you have reason to believe you're not. And likewise, in our text this morning, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not from the Father, it's from the world. We can easily say this. Our love for the world shows whether we are from the Father or not. I love in the world, even if you profess, I, I love God. But if you really love the world, you're a liar. 
That's what this verse is about. You say, well, where does this love come from? If it doesn't come from the world, if worldly love is not from God, where does it come from? And here's where it comes from. It comes from ourselves. It comes from our own sinful desires, our own sinful passions. James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, it's our own desires, our own passions, our own lusts. Then it comes from us. So it's not from God, it's from our own sinful passions. And the only way to overcome our sinful desires and our sinful tendencies and our sinful ways is through God's grace when we, chapter 1, verse 9, confess our sins. Here's the gospel, right? That he, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what John is saying here, the book, in this book here, is that cleansing from our sin will have an effect upon our life. When, when we're cleansed from our sin, the desires of the world will be less and less. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we focus on him and as he changes us, the desires for the world will be less and less. So I just say this this morning. If you're, if you're here this morning of experienced the cleansing work of, of Christ and you see in, in yourself just a, a, a progressive hatred of the world and, and turning from the world, then be encouraged. This book is a book of encouragement, by the way. First John five thirteen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's written so you might be sure, might be confident. But you don't get that confidence by merely saying you're okay. You get that confidence by, by saying, okay, how am I doing with the world? And when Jesus' prayer is being answered in you, I'm in the world, I'm being kept from the evil one, you may have confidence that indeed you're walking with God. Is that not the characteristic of the young man that we looked at last week? Chapter 2, verse 12 and 14. You are strong, particularly verse 14. I write to you, young men, you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. What does it mean to overcome the evil one? It simply means that we overcome sin. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There is overcoming the world, conquering our sin, living in in righteousness. And if that's you this morning, be encouraged that you have eternal life. That's what 1 John is about. But but if you're this morning and know more of the world than you know of God, I just call you to repent and turn to Christ. Cry out for mercy and it's changing grace in your life. And if you're kind of in between and you want this or you're struggling with you, I just pray, pray to God for grace. Pray to God for mercy that you might know that assurance. You might know you have eternal life because you see yourself changing and you see the world becoming less and less a desire in your life. Well, there's the first point, right? That do not love the world because worldly love is not from God. The second point, do not love the world because, verse 17, worldly love is not forever. It's not from God. It's not forever look at verse 17 and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of god abides forever now when when john defined the love of god in in verse 16 he defined it in terms of desires the love of the world rather he defined it in terms of desires desire the flesh desire the eyes the pride of life 
And here at verse 17, he used that same word about desires, it's passions. Lust even might be a good name for that. Right? And the world is passing away along with its desires, right? Along with worldly love. Worldly love is passing away. It won't be here forever. And just think, how long do desires last? Really? How long does your vacation last? As pleasurable as it is? A week or two or three? And then it's done? And then you're back in a normal life again? How long does that thing that you love last? Your iPhone will crash or will come out of date? Or you try to update, it's not going to work? How long does it last? How long does your nice sports car last? How long do your desires, your passions last? What, what passions do you have today that or you had back when you were a teenager? You had back when you were 30-something? Do you have today the passions? And there's going to be a day when it's all done. The world is passing away. I mean, that, isn't that the message? That, that God is going to destroy the world in fire someday? He's going to come back and rescue his own, and those who've hated him are going to go into everlasting torment. The world is passing away, and all the desires of the world, they're, they're not going to be there. Uh, you'll have passions in heaven, to be sure, but they won't be the same passions that you're having right now. And everything that you partake of is just short-lived. It's passing away. It's not forever. And, and I just say, this end ought to motivate us. It motivated Paul in, in, in John in chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It says in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. There's the, there's the hope of transformation, of, of delighting someday to be like Jesus And it says, verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You have this hope and desire for Jesus. And if you do have that desire, then it's going to purify yourself. And that's the same argument here. The world's passing away, right? So so long for the thing that's going to last eternally. And if you have that longing, chapter 3, verse 3, you will purify yourself. You will rid yourself of the world. This is a a motivation. This isn't just a, don't don't do that. It is, uh, passions aren't going to be forever. Worldly love isn't forever. And I'll also say that this whole worldly love thing is, um, it is a life or death issue. What I'm preaching this morning is life and death. And I say that because it says the world is passing away along with its desires and you could easily be swept up into that because it's the one who does the will of God who abides forever. So in other words, if you're not doing the will of God, you follow in your own way, you won't be with him forever. The whole book's all about eternal life. Chapter 5, verse 13, you kind of cram it in there. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's an illustration that God has done a work in there. But I just say this, sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. Do you know that? Are you convinced of that? Following God is the, the way to life. The will of God is that we... Whoever does the will of God abides forever. But sin leads to death, right? Remember I read from James 1, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust and what happens the lust gives birth to sin and sin once accomplished brings forth what death just to think of several illustrations in the bible of, of those who 
who were attracted by the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and pride of life. And, and where did it end them? Ends in death. I, I think about Adam and Eve. Chapter 3 of Genesis starts there in the garden. Eve, Satan approaches Eve and talks to her about the, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and, and puts doubt in her mind about, about God's word and about, about this fruit. And says, go ahead, take it. It'll make you wise. It'll make you just like God. That's why it's holding it from you. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and there was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise... She took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And, of course, you know what happened after that. And the day you eat of it, you shall die. There was some death that took place there, and eventually they died. You just got to continue on in Genesis. Genesis chapter 5, you read about the death that came. We die today because Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. But notice she looked at the fruit, the desire of the eyes, and she saw it, and she saw that it would be good to eat. The desire of the flesh, like, mm, that, would, that would taste pretty good. And the fruit became desirable to her, and, and the thought of being wise like God, knowing good and evil, there's some pride of life there. Like, I, I could be like God, knowing good and evil. And to use John words, John's words, it was the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and pride of life that eventually overcame her and she fell into sin, brought her husband right into that and the rest is history. Listen, right, the reason why we deal in the flesh is because Adam and Eve failed in the flesh. Read Romans chapter 5, it speaks about their implications upon our life. But it was a love of the world that drew them in. You've got to see that. And what Adam and Eve faced at that moment has been the experience of every human being since then, that there's, there's desires, there's things that we see, there's things that we want, and, and we can either succumb to that temptation or, or we can resist. It's by the grace of God that we resist. Right? When a, but our flesh will, will pull us towards the wrong. Towards, Look at how nice that'll be. And oh, won't that feel so good? And oh, won't there be pleasure? And then you fall into sin, and then how pleasurable is that? And John's telling us this morning, don't fall into sin. So get at the root of what's causing that. It's causing, you don't have God there. It's that your lusts and your desires are are pursuing that thing. Or another example, I think about the sin of Achan, told about in Joshua. Joshua chapter 6, the battle of Jericho. Of course, you remember they they walked around the city six times, one time each day for six days. The seventh day, they walked around in total silence, seven times that day. And then they blew the trumpets and uh, they shout with a shout. The wall comes down. They walk in. They conquer their enemies. And Joshua is very clear to there when they, very clear to them when they came in and and fought and conquered the city. He said, "The silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron should go into the treasury of the Lord. Everything else should be destroyed." So he took it there, put it in the treasury of the Lord, destroy everything else. So they went out to conquer the next day the city of Ai, and though the city was small. They sent only 3,000 people against it. The city of Ai turned them back, killed 36 of their warriors. Joshua was distressed, fell on his face, prayed to God, said, uh, what, what happened, God? Why did, this, why did this take place? And the Lord told Joshua why they weren't victorious. Basically, he said, it's because they've sinned. I commanded them that 
that they shouldn't take anything devoted to the band. They should put everything in the temple of the Lord, but they've stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And so he said, basically, consecrate yourselves tomorrow. And uh, here we're going to pick out, find out who was involved with this. And so 12 tribes are there. And they cast lots that fell upon Judah. Then the, the clans of Judah were all there. I don't know how many clans there were, but it fell upon the Zerahites. And then the families of the, the Zerahites were there. It fell on the family of Zabdi. And then there upon the family of Zabdi, it fell upon the son, Achan. And Joshua said to him, my, my God, tell us what you've done. Don't hide it from us. Listen to Achan's words. He says, truly, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and I took them and see they're hidden in the earth underneath my tent with a silver underneath. Again, he saw it. He thought about it. He coveted it. And then he went and he took it. And what was the result? The result was death. He was stoned. His whole family was stoned. 36 warriors died because of his sin that he didn't confess. And it was all because, to use John's words, the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life overcame him. And he took. And he fell. And death came to him and his family. Listen, church family. The same result will happen to you when you succumb to sin. When you love the world rather than abstain from the world Sin never ends well. It never ends well. See, when, when the passions and desire of the world mean more to you than obedience to God, it's not going to end well. That's why I read earlier in the service Psalm 73, because Asaph was there walking righteously, but he, he saw the way of the world and was, was tempted by it and thought, in vain I have kept my heart pure. But then what happened? He saw their end. He saw, oh, you're going to destroy them in a moment. And then when he saw their end, he's like, oh, it's worth it. That's why he starts and ends. Surely God is good to Israel. And then he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I what? I desire nothing except you. The desires aren't for the world. The desires are, are for God. And I say, church family, be convinced that desires for God will always be better than desire for your sinful passions. It's, the world is, is passing away. Just think about Jesus. He faced the temptation. Right? You remember the temptation he faced? The temptation of the flesh right? to, to make this bread, to make this rock become bread. The, the temptation of the pride right, is to stand on top of here and I, I will give you all of this. I mean, the temptation of sight, all the, the kingdoms of the world, if you bow down and worship me, but he didn't. He didn't because he saw what was true. He used the word of God in every way to overcome the evil one. Chapter 2, verse 14. The word of God abided in him and he overcame the evil one. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus said to his disciples, right, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world you'll have trouble, tribulation and trouble. But I have overcome the world. And, and just know that your path out of the temptations and sin is always the path of Christ, the path of Jesus. So I say, choose Christ rather than the ways of the world. And may God do something among us as he changes. And maybe, there, maybe there's some radical things, changes you make in your life. And you change your family. And it'll change your neighbors. Maybe you'll attract people to Jesus rather than just saying, you're just like me. 
It'll strengthen marriages. It'll strengthen families. It'll strengthen churches. And may God delight to do that among us. Well, I'm going to pray. And then there's a, a song that I think is going to be sung. Is that right, Ryan? All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray in your grace, in your time, in your way, that you would help us, oh God, to be those who do not love the world or the things in the world. God, may we realize that, that that's not of you. May we realize that the passions and desires of the world are, are just fading away. So God, be our help, be our strength. I pray we'd run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of God on high. God, and those who look to you, God, will rejoice even if the government comes and takes away our possessions because we have a better hope. We have a better city. It's laid up for us in heaven. So God, convince us of those things. I preached to myself this morning. God, convince me of these things that we would encourage one another and all the more as the day draws near. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.